you everyone for joining us today for Unapologetically Black Unicorns Live and in Living Color. And you all are going to experience, and, and, and uh, us as well, a new way of doing this podcast, sort of live, but it's not live out there. It's live in here with Niapris. And um, our panelists, which I are, are uh, Black unicorns, unapologetically Black unicorns, you pull a group of unicorns together, you call them a marvel. So I, we have this marvel of, of folks uh, with Katera Aslami, Jay Africa, Sherelle Bellamy, and Rachel Chambers. And um, first, let me tell you a little bit about how all of this um, started. And by the way, all of these folks have um, been on the podcast and featured on um, the podcast uh, that started back in um, June. The reason that uh, this podcast started, it just started in uh, uh, June of this year on my birthday, which, okay, I got to share my birthday with somebody. Who am I going to share it with? But who knew Dr. Cheryl Bellamy? And she was my first guest. But um, there was a there was a real intention with starting this podcast and, and actually um, calling it by this name. And one of the reasons um, was, number one, that um, it was very hard for me to locate and connect with um, other uh, people with lived experience who were doing work in the mental health um, or behavioral health field who are people of color. And then also to connect um, to other folks who are in leadership roles or um, entering into leadership roles. And how are we connecting to each other? Um, And how are we largely connected to the peer movement? And how do people even know that there are these leaders out here? So so previous to to, to June, I was getting calls from a few people saying, um, well, first of all, one person said, oh my God, I had no idea idea you were black. Well, I don't even know what to say about that, but okay, <laughs> because they had not seen me before. Um, and it turned out it was somebody who themselves was um, African-American and they were looking for other leaders who also had lived experience and they were feeling quite alone. So I introduced that person to um, several people. Um, uh, and I think Dr. Bellamy was one of the people, Rochelle was probably one of the people as well. Um, and um then I got another call, literally like three weeks later, sort of the same question. And then maybe two days later, the same question. And I thought, okay, this is ridiculous. I can't be doing these emails one after the other after the other. And I thought somehow maybe there's something missing. And what seemed to be missing was this ability to know who was who, how do we connect and know each other? And then how does the field as a whole, not just uh, uh, folks of color and uh, folks from other backgrounds kind of um become a larger part of um, solving some of the intractable um, issues that uh, we're working on in the mental health arena. So I chose the name UBUY. Well, number one, I love unicorns. I mean, who doesn't love a unicorn? Like, let's be real, right? So I love unicorns, but um, I, I, I wanted the acronym first to say something about like, have you ever heard this phrase? Well, you do you, you know, like that. I wanted it to do that, but I couldn't figure out, well, what would the D be? So I said, well, maybe it's UBU. I love unicorns and black unicorns actually have um, an incredible symbolism that I wasn't really aware of. And so um, black um, unicorns actually symbolize freedom, power, strength, and are regarded as a true force of nature. They possess skills and experiences that are believed to be so rare that they're almost mystical. And it was almost like people thought Black leadership and other, you know, folks of color and um, leadership um, fo- and 
uh, positions or, you know, rising into leadership positions were really rare, almost so much that we were mystical, but we're not that rare. It's just, we're not all kind of like exposed to one another or to the larger field. So I like to uh, create this opportunity for um, our black unicorns so that people can, you be you, go, you be you. Um, And, um, to come together and have these weekly conversations about work that we're doing um, in the mental health and behavioral health field to advance things around racial justice, around mental health substance use, and and as I say, anything cool to um, enhance human existence. So as we're having these conversations, the other thing is um, I've gotten feedback that it is um, motivated and encouraged other people. Uh, it has given other people ideas about what they can do in their roles. Uh, people have asked, oh, can I meet so-and-so? I'd really like to ask them to be a part of a project. Um, and there are uh, a, a couple of schools of psychiatry that are actually using the episodes to uh, have their residents, um, the psychi- psychiatric residents, listen to the episodes to learn more about what's happening in the peer uh, and recovery or um, uh, space. So that's kind of what this is all about. And we're lucky today to actually have um, a group of uh, our UBUs with us and I'm going to ask them a few questions. So the way that I run the podcast, this is kind of, it's kind of going to be like doing a panel, but doing a podcast, but doing a panel um, is um, I try not to ask too many questions, like questions after questions, but that uh, find a way that we can actually um, engage in dialogue. So, um, but I am going to ask a first question and that is um, really, I think it's important for each of our panelists to tell us a little bit more about um, each of you. And so I'm going to try to do this in some kind of, I was going to do it in an alphabetical order, but I don't remember how I said I was going to do that. So um, I'll go ahead and I will start with uh, Dr. Bellamy, Dr. Sherelle Bellamy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do? Good afternoon. Good to see you all. Thank you, Karis, for pulling this all together. I'm really excited to be here. Um, at the Niaspras conference. I think the last time I actually went to a Niaspras conference was probably um, in 2007. So it's been a while and it's great to to be here again, um, particularly because it was the International Association of Psych Rehab that really allowed me to feel as if I, you know, got welcomed home, so to speak. It was the first space that I was in with academics as well as researchers, people with lived experience, providers. We were all talking about, you know, um, living and recovery and all of those great things. Um, So my name is Sherelle Bellamy and by profession, I'm an associate professor and the director of peer support services and research. I was recently, Uh, given the position of joint director with Larry Davison of the Program for Recovery and Community Health. And, you know, PERCH has been in existence for about 20 years. I am a proud, um, you know, um, Black unicorn. Um, And it's my lived experiences that sustain me in my life and in my work. I just want to say in saying that, given that this is a National Suicide um, Awareness Month, that I am proud and happy to be alive today because there are many times where um, I almost wasn't here um, because I um, was trying to end my life. So 
um, I stand here today um, just just feeling complete joy to be in your company. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And um, so I think the next person that I'd like to introduce is um, Katera Aslami. Hey, Katera, how's it going? Hey, Karis. Hi. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you for this opportunity to join this uh, incredible panel and your awesome conference at Niapers. Uh I was in Niapers in 2013 and um, missed being in New York. So I've been here in California um, in the Bay Area. I work uh, at Alameda County Behavioral Health Care Services. Um, my position that I'm in is the Office of Peer Support Services, and I am a person who came to the United States as a, as a refugee when I was three. We escaped the Afghan-Soviet War, and um, I'm very active in our community and now also am thrown into the work of humanitarian uh, crisis uh, response. So, um, but I am, you know, so grateful to have peer support um, from uh, our, our friends here and also in the community. Um, I'm just uh, happy to be here in this environment. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Katera. And then next I'll turn to uh, Dr. J. Africa. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see your faces. Um, I think this is my first NIAS first conference. It took me many, many years, but finally, there's always the first one. Um, it's a great pleasure to join you in really this esteemed panel and um, um, sort of actually have a conversation about what it means to be you, be you. So as Kara said, I'm, I'm Jay. My pronouns are he, his, and him. I actually am the behavioral health director in the in Northern California, one of the counties in Northern California, in Marin County. And if you don't know, that's one of the richest county in California, but one of the highest disparities. Um, I, like um, Katera, did not grow up in this country. Um, um, I actually grew up in the Philippines and, and saw um, the experiences of family members uh, when they have a loved one who um, has a mental health and substance use condition. And um, I am in my work because I really believe that uh, we should create opportunities for everybody to thrive um, and, and really um, determine their own lives. Um, and I also am here because I believe in giving back because a long, long time ago, there were uh, some strangers that were kind enough to me um, to kind of uh, uh, take, me, take me in under their wing and, and gave me an opportunity to, to be who I am. And so I identify as a transgender individual I'm the first openly out behavioral health director in California that has both pros and cons, obviously, but I am very, very um, um, inspired by people who are first, but hopefully not the last. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jay. And we're um, so happy to have you here. And um, who do I have left? Rachelle, Rachelle Chambers. Hey, Rachelle, how are you doing? Hey, Karis. Hey, everyone. My name is Rachelle Chambers. I'm a Black woman that is a woman also with lived experience. I'm from Oakland, California. So my spirit of advocacy and shaking things up is is born in me. Um, I also helped co-found a peer-run organization called Painted Brain. We're based in Los Angeles County. And we also provide services throughout the state and through in the United States. 
Um, I'm happy to be here on this panel to share my experiences as someone that is also a survivor um, and someone with lived experience. Um, it's important for women of color, particularly Black women, to model, um, to be an example um, of wellness and recovery and also leading um, a complex uh, industry that doesn't traditionally have people of color that are leading it, but we are the ones consuming it. So I'm excited to be here to share my experiences, my advocacy, um, and to utilize my lived experience with mental health challenges to empower individuals to be themselves, to you be you. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much to all of the panelists and the unapologetically black unicorns. And so one of the questions that I am going to kind of shoot to everyone on the on the panel um, is, and I think, Rachelle, you were kind of leading into this um, section, especially when you're talking about the importance of advocacy and being a born advocate. But for everybody, what does it mean to be unapologetic and how do you do that, especially as uh, folks of color, as folks from uh, different backgrounds, um, you know, LGBTQ, there are things that we have to think about when we're doing this work and being unapologetic in spaces in which we're not in the majority. So how do you do that? (laughs) I want to, I want to, I just started talking about, but I can go. Um, Okay. Um, for me to, how do you be unapologetic? I mean, I guess it, I mean, it's scary um, for me, but I know, like, I also came out at 14 um, to a mother um, and living in Oakland and, you know, saying that, you know, I was different, but I felt like that level of like, just not being afraid or being afraid, but still needing to speak out um, is something that I always had in me. Um, and then now on the stage, like I said, where I'm dominated by the majority, um, it's still now more of like not being afraid to say some of the hard things and and deal with the challenges. So I think it's more so for me, how do I be unapologetic? Um, I I'm not afraid, I guess. And if I am afraid, I'm just going to I'm going to roll with the punches. And then I have a level of uh, education and professionalism that that allows me to be able to articulate hard things um, and hard uh, conversations, Um, but I'm going to do it. um, And I think that more people uh, will follow when you have people that aren't afraid to speak up for for their group. Thank you. Um, Anybody else want to chime in about what it means to be unapologetic and how do you do it? Sherelle? I was just going to say that, you know, um, I love the UBU. You know, and I think that just being me um, is part of my survival. You know, it's what keeps me alive, right? So, and I feel like I'm able to do that because of, you know, just really standing on all the shoulders of those who have gone before me. Um, There's so many um, black and brown folk uh, and with lived experience um, that, you know, I am just so proud to, to be in this space um, with folks who, you know, Celia Brown and others who have just been around forever and really leading us in this direction. I often say, you know, to Karis, uh, just, I feel like people have tried to keep us away from each other intentionally, um, but we're here, we're here together. And the more we're able to rely on each other and, um, and, and really be there for each other, I feel that more of us are going to be able to, to come out um, 
not only about our lived experiences, but to come out as leaders in this field. Thank you so much. Jay? I'll just say that, you know, in a society that many of us have been othered um, and really say you're different, you're not the same, or skin color, age, um, able-bodiedness, uh, you know, I think being unapologetic means even, even if that's the case, I still have the right to exist. I still have the right to exist whoever I want, how I want to show up authentically and who we are. And that's with all flaws and, and faults, right? So in a white supremacist society, we're asked to be perfect. And so because we're not, quote unquote, perfect, we're then saying we're less than, we're inferior, we're not. And I really feel like everybody deserves to be in the same field because we are important as people. And so unapologetic for me means we own who we are, we, we know what the risks are out there, and we still are looking beyond just our selfish needs. Like, I mean, I, it's really about a collectiveness and really standing truth and speaking truth to power. So that's what being unapologetic means to me. Wow. Wow. You know, I was just talking to somebody before I got on the um, this uh, webinar uh, about uh, collectivism and individualism and how, um, especially for communities of color uh, uh, outside of the, the Western space, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, there's a difference between how we show up because of our, um, and I say it's in our DNA <laughs> to have a collective spirit and to think about the collective um, where um, in, in the U.S. everything tends to be very individualistic. So I really appreciate you, Jay, giving um, voice to um, the importance of that collectiveness um, and how we bring that forth um, in the work that we do. Um, Katera, what are your thoughts about um, being, unap- well, you are unapologetic, so like, Let's just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk a little Thank bit about you. that. Um, I, with, to me, it means to, to have the courage and self-determination to, to pursue what we're passionate about. And, and you know, being that uh, I, I want to make a difference and, and being that I've experienced what it feels like to be discriminated and, and treated differently and, um, um, I think for me, it's about uh, making a difference for all our communities, creating a welcoming space for people and doing what I feel like walking the talk, you know, in our movement, like we have these incredible principles and values. Uh, and also as we're working in mental health, it's about, you know, uh, for me, um, never giving up, uh, continuously building bridges, um, because I want, I feel like, we are stronger together. We can't do this work alone. And, um, you know, when we have ideas, uh, engaging people and, and making, you know, bringing us all together like here and, and working towards a better future and a better now. Yeah. Thanks. And I, I, I want to also, um, kind of lift up something that I, I think I heard, I'll just double check if I didn't, I'll, I'll lift it up anyway. <laughs> um, and that is, um, in our roles, especially in leadership roles, especially when we're being unapologetic, actually, I believe it was Sherelle who brought it up, uh, that we have to support each other. And, um, you know, sometimes I think we forget about that, or we can't find the space where the people who were support us, you know, I know as myself as a, as a, as a leader, when I was running a peer run organization, I really struggled to figure out 
who I could trust to tell that I was having a hard time, whatever that hard time was, because I would worry that people would either uh, assume, oh, yeah, you know, we know she has a mental illness and, you know, we let her lead something. We knew that one going to work out, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And or, um, you know, well, she really doesn't have the skill set, you know, kind of, again, sort of that the racism hint to it. Um, and so who could I tell where somebody wouldn't turn around and say, well, she said she wasn't doing well. Do you think we ought to do something? And kind of how have you all found um, in your in your roles ways to reach out when you need to and find the safe space to do that, especially with folks who, again, are, um, I don't want to say, I don't like to say the word marginalized, but certainly we're not in the, in the majority. So how do, how do we, how do you all do that? Um, reach out and find that support in your role. I think if I can jump to it, cause I guess I'm in the mix of it now. Um, being a black peer woman that's leading a company with two amazing um, people that happen to be white. It is a, it's a thing. Um, I've recently had to lean on, like I told Kara, it's like a squad of of women that that's a little bit older than me that they they got some years on me because I really and men there are some men too but it's mostly a village of women leaders that have really wrapped around me and I've been vulnerable I think I've and I usually am not but I it took me a while but and because of my trauma I do have issues with like trusting people and safety but most recently I've gotten to a level where you know when you start getting to this level in business like the expectations is just different, right? And if you don't have people that have that came before you that have ran multi-million dollar businesses and had to, and then also they haven't disclosed, you know, I think that that's another level of vulnerability. So I really have leaned on women, other women of color, and they're also of just diverse backgrounds to really build me up. And uh, I have had to be careful, though, uh, just because of the risk. When you get to a certain level, you do have to be careful what you disclose. So for me, it's that balance. Um, I'm talking to peers. I also talk to lawyers more. (laughs) I have a whole squad of just professionals when you get to that level. So um, I think that's just where I'm at. And always welcome to bring other mentors. If y'all want to come mentor me, I really I'm I'm looking for more. (laughs) All right. You, you heard her. Anybody else about this idea around, um, you know, finding and looking for uh, support in, in safe spaces so you can be un- unapologetic in your um, leadership roles? Uh, I'll say, um, I'll talk about that, Karis, because what um, I remember when I was uh, executive director of peers uh, several years ago, I was looking for um, uh, someone else in the same uh, position and similar and kind of dealing with all the challenges of, of leading an organization. And I found you. <laughs> Wait, and I thought I, I found you. I don't know. We found each other. <laughs> you, right. We did. And I was grateful or yes, we, uh, you found me. However it was, I was so grateful for it um, because I could, you know, not only talk about, um, you know, what I needed to do to improve and be better, but also here, like, you know, it, it was um, validating to know, like, some of the things I was struggling with, we both were struggling together, and we could, you know, talk to each other, um, I, I felt comfortable to call you, and to then be able to continue to build that up, and um, be able to reach out to uh, the younger generation, too, and see, 
um, I mean, all generations, because I think we all need mentors and then also uh, turn into mentor, uh, mentors also. And being able to continue that, passing on the mm -hmm. baton or passing on our, our uh, wisdom and information that we have um, and experiences, because uh, it's sometimes really scary when you feel alone, right? No matter whether you're going through a mental health challenge and you're feeling alone like when I was and, and then finding a community that you can connect to. So there's definitely been ups and downs with that process. But uh, again, I think never giving up because there are people out there that want to support you and um, your goals for leadership. And I think I, I feel very lucky to have gotten that from uh, you, Karis, and now also Rachel, and of course, you know, uh, we got Sherelle and Jay, and, and I mean, I think just continuing to build on that, it, it could be one person at a time over years, but keeping in touch and keeping those relationships strong has been one of my um, successes. Yeah, excellent. And the reason I say I think I found you was because you were already the CEO and ED of a Pierce up in um, Alameda. And I had just started as the director of Project Return Peer Support Network. So it was my first time being a director. I was just coming off of disability. Um, and so um, it was almost like we were sister organizations, one in the northern part of California and mine in the southern part. And uh, somebody said, yeah, yeah, you should meet um, uh, Katera. And I, that's how I recall us um, a meeting. And so I was looking to you for mentorship. And lo and behold, you were looking to me for mentorship as well. That's really cool. So Sherelle, you were going to say something. I was going to say, um, you know, one of the things I talked about in the podcast was, you know, how the term with as we climb has just been really important and valuable in my own experience, particularly as a Black woman, just period. Um, and that's a, a phrase that was um, developed as part of the National Colored Women's League back in the 1900s. And the importance of that is that as we are climbing, that we grab someone's hand so that they're climbing with us. And, and that's so key because unfortunately, there aren't that many people that we can look, you know, to um, who have done it before. Um, and particularly those who may even have the, the time and who are now already stressed out themselves, right? Because there's so few of us in the space. And I think what really helps me more than anything are the people that I work with. Um, and because they hold me accountable. Um, and not only do they hold me accountable, they give me, they, they continue to sort of reignite my passion of why it's important that, you know, I do this work. Um, because there are some people that say, well, you listen, you don't have to identify as a person with lived experience because you've already achieved this, that, and the other. Why do you keep doing it? Because that's who I am. <laughs> and that's important right. to me and my survival. And that's part of what makes me who I am. And it's, it's interesting that people try just the thought of someone saying, you don't have to hold on to that aspect of your identity. Like, you know, how often are people telling you that, you know, are they saying that to to me as a black person, as a woman, you know, as a person um, who's gay? I mean, you know, there are all of these different identities that I have that make me who I am. And without any of them, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I just feel like it's so, so important that we um, have our folks to hold us accountable. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent. Day, did you want to pop in on any of this or? Yeah, yeah. yeah may, may I just add that, you know, for, um, I mean, and then, then the understanding that we cannot do this alone, we, you know, is really for me the core, core thing inside my health. Like, because I know, I know that I can't do things on my own uh, and I can't do this work alone. Uh, there is a there is an impetus. There is a need to reach out to people. Like I think that's just for me. And people might have different notions, like oh, you can, you don't have it all or whatever. And at this point, I don't care because I know that I need somebody to be successful and to thrive. And I think that's the notion that we change that we need other people. And and that also comes with a sense of humility, right? That we are oftentimes searching for for people to help support us. And I have come I, well, while always not successful. I have come to also believe in asking. There had been people that I had asked and said, you know, I've heard you, I know about you, would you be interested in? And there be, and, and some had said, I'm really glad that you asked. And then there are times when I've asked people and they said, no. And I say, okay, and then I move, and I move on. I, I do believe in that there are more people who are kind and generous and that's will and are willing to help us collectively than folks that don't. So it's just finding the right people sometimes for the right time. And I, I really believe that that's really is to ask. Um, and I often yeah. find people find it flattering when they're like me. I actually have no idea what I'm doing, but I appreciate <laughs> that you see that. So I think that's also sort of a way to, to just ask. So um, I'm I'm gonna like start off with you, Jay, yeah, since you've just ended is. Um, and I'm going to ask each of you kind of to think about this or answer this. And I think you all did in your podcast um, as well, your podcast episode. Like, how did you get into the leadership position? It's kind of like we just didn't like fall out of the womb and boom, we're kind of in these leadership positions. There's something that happens in the, our trajectory of how we first got into the field. And then secondarily, how we moved into either a role that is identified as a leadership position or just into leadership without that identified role. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jay, since um, think how often do we get to talk to a behavioral health director? <laughs> You know, um, yeah, so love to um, hear. Well, you know, I have, I, I grew up having, just so again, I said earlier, seeing sort of how mental health and substance use has really affect all of us. And I was trying to figure out a way to like solve that problem and thinking like, what can I do to control everything and realizing I couldn't. And so I really went to psychology, really believing that there are tools that we can do to really build relationships with people to help them thrive. Like that was really my point. And I love being a psychologist. I love working individually with clients and their families. And then at some point in my career, I was getting pulled into program development. You know, I was asking a lot of questions about why, why are we doing things the way we're doing? And like, well, that's policy. Well, why is that the, the policy? And I'm like, well, why can't we change the policy? And so I was sort of, while interested, I wasn't focused on that. But people are saying, well, you kind of ask a lot of questions. Well, maybe you can help solve create uh, solutions. And so I was really, I was just grateful that there are people around me that said that my questioning and my advocacy wasn't threatening to them. And instead of saying like, well, you should stop asking questions. You should not be there. That they said, well, you seem to really be interested in this work. While you might not know everything, there's this opportunity and would you be interested in that? And I guess um, over time, I took many, you know, I actually accepted that invitation that, you know, I, I have sort of gone a little bit more knowledge and skills to do that. So that's where I am. And, you know, every day I still think about like, 
do I have the skills to do it? Because things are changing and it's really difficult. But when you surround yourself with people that are much knowledgeable and know and that trust you and you trust, even if they disagree with you, even if you have disagreements, I feel like that's really the opportunity where creative solutions and innovations come. And so I have been lucky, to, but the, the questions that I have asked, people um, saw that as an invitation versus a threat. And then I also have been lucky that people saw, oh, you know, you can be part of the solution. So I am, I think that for, that is sort of my trajectory. Um, I do believe the foundation though of who I am as a person is relationship. That for me is the, the tool that even I'm no longer practicing as a, a clinician, that my, my investment, the investment hopefully is to build relationships with people. And that's what heals. And that's key to leadership is relationship and building those and maintaining those relationships. What about you, Sherelle? Um, you're one of the people that I, I have not known for the longest period of time, like I've known, you know, Jay and Katera and Rochelle for quite some time. But uh, you and I kind of our, our paths would cross in really interesting ways. Um, and then, uh, you know, got to know you a little bit more over the last year. So how did you kind of get to where you are? Yeah, they were trying to hide me away, right? Uh, no, uh, I, I me too, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the roles that I didn't mention is that I'm also the interim director of the state of Connecticut's um, Office of Recovery uh, Community Affairs. And I've been in that role for the last four years under the direction of the former, our former commissioner, um, Miriam Delphin Rittman, uh, who's now at our nation running things. Um, and now I'm working with Commissioner Nancy um, Navarata. We are going to be hiring a director, by the way, um, so I can step back and concentrate on these mil- million other jobs that I have. And I think that, um, honestly, uh, most people don't realize this, but I'm actually pretty, um, I'm an introvert. And uh and so the um, I describe myself as the, a Mac in the back. And that basically means that I'm one of those people that's good at making things happen and uh, good at directing things. I don't really need to be out in, in the front of things. And I never really felt like I needed to um, to be in the limelight. And, and for me, it was my fellow peers. Um, and, and when I say peers, I actually do mean here other people with lived experience who kind of pushed me in that limelight and said, you know what, you deserve to be there because you are doing the work. And, you know, so I, I feel like in that way, I entered the space very differently because, um, and like I said, so many ways I, I was okay with just, just doing the work. Um, but it's so important that we have representation. So few of us have, you know, uh, leaders of color that we can look to to, um, to just serve as a source of strength um, and provide guidance. So I, you know, initially reluctantly took that on. And, um, but now I proudly um, have embraced it um, and embraced the importance of leadership. I was thinking about, you know, when you have talked about sort of you're in the background or you're the Mac in the back. And, you know, I think also leaderships don't always have to be in the front you know, that you're, you're leading and, you know, and you, um, and, and I think that's important for people to hear. There's a both and here space for folks because that Mac in the back work was probably the work that I was reading going, who's this Sherelle Bellamy? Not even knowing that not only are you a sister, 
right? Not only are you a, 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 you know, a black woman, but then that we shared the same birthday, like who would have ever figured that out? So we were connected, but not being connected. So yeah, thanks for um, uh, sharing that about uh, your experience and your journey. Um, what about you, uh, Katera? Well, I, I like to think uh, I got into leadership um, from a very, I, I don't know if it was leadership, but I was thrown into responsibilities at a very young age. I was, you know, being here uh, in the United States, and being the only one in my family that spoke English, I was at age seven automatically the interpreter for everything um, for my parents and including for um, her psychiatric appointments. And I, um, I remember uh, a time where she was getting uh, an eye exam and and uh, the, the woman that was working with us uh, kind of chastised my mom for not wearing the right glasses when she didn't even ask her it. And I, I, that, I remember that vividly because it, it stood out. And I, and I said, um, that's not really her fault. And I was really young. And I said, I, I don't think you treated my mom well. And um, I'd like to talk to someone else. And I don't know where that came from. I might have watched it on a show or saw someone else do that. And I, I guess that internal gut feeling of um, this is wrong. And then taking that courageous step of saying something and hoping, you know, it would turn out fine. And it did. She actually apologized and all of that good stuff. But, but uh, it, it opened up my eyes to um, just speaking up and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, making it known that something is not the way I felt like should be happening and calling it out. Um, and so, it, it, it gave me an opportunity then when I was in high school to get involved with um, the Afghan club. So again, these things that like I saw issues in our communities and I was like, well, why aren't we coming together? Why is it more of us coming together? And then, um, and then taking action about that, like how can I organize? So, uh, you know, just reaching out and, and I agree with both Cheryl and Jay about like our relationships matter, right? So um, keeping that in, in, in the forefront was always um, how I, uh, I guess, moved up. I, I've got a bachelor's degree, which I'm really grateful for also, but I, um, I find myself sometimes feeling like at odds, like, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough, right? But, but then that's just something that I went, let it go through my head and, and, speak up to what is necessary in that moment and, and not do it alone too. I think we've, that's, there's a theme here. Um, I'm not too good to clean the floor. I will clean the floor when I was, uh, you know, if something spilled, I'm, and I see it just like, you know, if I see an issue in, if uh, from somewhere else, if something's on the floor and I need to clean it, I'm going to clean it. Or even if I don't need to clean it, I want to clean it because I want to be, um, supportive to the environment to all of us and create a welcoming space and um so I I feel like other people saw that you know I was willing to go the extra mile to to be of support to um Mm -hmm. the community or to the organization um uh, to my family and and then over time people have turned to me and and um I've turned to them too and so that mutuality I think just continues to put us in situations where uh, these opportunities come up and I'm um, very grateful for them. But I, I do think that um, 
if I want something done, I'll do it also. And, and then hopefully it'll be, you know, something someone else will want to do too. Yeah. Great. And uh, Rochelle, what about you? Yeah. I talked a lot about that on my podcast, uh, on the podcast with you, but I, my grandmother was an advocate uh, from the South. Uh, we still own our slave sharecropping land. So a lot of history and advocacy and culture um, that led to and my mom is an advocate. She has, She's been doing, uh, she's a PhD in theology and just put in a, a passion in me to advocate and to have a care for the world. And then I talked about it, like I started working in group homes. I was telling Karis, that's like the, like the mopping of the floors. I feel like of this mental health field, like really seeing, meeting people where they at, that's like the core. So I had to mop the floors, pass meds, clean wounds, really get to, you know, see the the folks that the, the clinicians only saw for 45 minutes. So that led me with the passion to just care for others. And I got my degree in sociology, did not know what to do with that. I'm like, wait, you can't get no job with no degree in sociology. Um, so I, I went and did more policy work. And like Cheryl, I was really strong in the back. Like I was doing, I just, I dived into everything. Oh, I'm going to do policy work on women's issues. I'm going to go work on, you know, traffic issues. And then I was in the background. I was designing like 25 different health and human service programs for like a $110 million budget. I've designed almost every kind of program with the continuum of care from lock facilities to respite centers, um, CDC programs, food distribution programs. So when I connected with my business partners, um, they needed op- they needed operations and they needed fundraising. And I and I had a passion for everything. I could design. I literally, if you start talking to me about paper, I'll be excited about paper. So I really am passionate, but I got a chance so I got someone made away from me. My late sister who died uh, was LVN, but she said, and I, when I was in struggling after I got my degree in sociology um, and I was like, no one's giving me a job. She was like, somebody has to make a way for you, particularly people of color. Like, and you do the same for another person, no matter black, brown, you know, no matter what you do the way. So at the end of the day, yeah, I was in the background. I did everything. And so when it was my time to get up there, I did it. But somebody made a way for me and they weren't just people of color. They were other people. Um, so just just being open and doing like Katira said, be willing to to do the grunt work um, and be a servant leader. Um, and I'm not too good. to. I still I still do everything at our company. I will go clean our bathrooms. Um, I'm out there. So that, I think that's really what got me to the next level. And people pushed me, like they said, well, Cheryl, my team who I'm on before we started the company, they were like, oh no, you're going to be, you're going to be the director. I'm like, well, I think there's already, no, you're going to be doing this and you're going to do this. And I'm like, and they, they've led me so thus far. So listen to people as well. Yeah. Listen and encourage people. That's great. That's a beautiful message. And, you know, I'm thinking back to something that may be unique amongst us is how we show up as leaders Meaning, you know, sometimes and it, it's, it's not my favorite thing to think about, but of course, we're unapologetically Black unicorns. So we think about it and we talk about it openly, especially to help other people think about um, kind of what we go through. And that is, um, I have found, and um, you know, I was interviewed for a, a, a you know, newspaper article and somebody said that um, I was a quiet leader right? Uh, when I was CEO of Project Return. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And, you know, they expected me to kind of have some kind of persona, I guess, as a CEO, that was my title, CEO. So I had to have this persona. And, and, and my persona, they were kind of struck, they were like, you know, 
I'm not small, but I'm quiet, but mighty. Okay. And so it's kind of how they put it. And I thought, yeah, I am sort of soft spoken. What is that? And I realized that, um, you know, even in the consumer movement, um, consumer survivor, patient, ex-patient movement, um, I wasn't the voice that was outside that was very loud and, and kind of out there. I was much more sort of this soft, <laughs> soft spoken leader because I, I kept thinking, well, as a big black woman, if I'm too loud, if I'm too assertive, that is will be interpreted as, and I will put it in quotes, aggressive, angry black woman. And I kind of dialed it back and I learned how to kind of be in this. I mean, maybe that's code switching that I did. I don't, I don't know if that would be considered a type of code switching, but um, am I, am I naturally louder? Yes, actually I am. (laughs) So I've learned how to have this very soft and sexy voice. So, um, (laughs) so I'm wondering, you know, is, is, has that, have you all experienced that as well, where you've had to shift a little bit or think about, um, how you present because of how other people might perceive you, but you need to be in the room and you need to be heard. I'm just really curious about that. I don't want to take up too much space again, but I am from Oakland. I'm a black woman and I'm loud. That's probably what the big, and personally, everyone tell me I'm loud and I have hearing issues too. So I'm loud with like some hearing problems. And, you know, I did, I had people even my affect. I think in one of my last jobs, I got written up for affect, but I was like really excited. I'm like, we need to do this, 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 and this. How is this, how is this being cons- like considered as aggressive? I'm like, we need to do more. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, having to show up in a space to dial it down, I don't know if it's code switching. I always got made fun of. I went to private school that my whole, my family would make fun of me. Oh, you, you talking like this, or I can talk different in certain uh, spaces, but I was told, oh, why are you talking? I think I told you, I like, People are like, why are you talking like that? And I'm like, I'm choosing. And I went all the way to college. I'm choosing to talk like this. This is how I'm going to talk. And as long as it's not disrespectful and, and you know, inappropriate, I'm going to show up like this. So I feel more confidence that I've had in my own abilities has allowed me to be more my authentic self. But early in my career, like I did get asked, they, people asked me, oh, do you have a master's degree? Like questioning me just because of my skin color or how I would sound. Um, so I did have to, you know, quiet down sometimes, or even now I've, I have a balance, but I'm getting more unapologetic even being around with y'all. So watch out for me. <laughs> okay. Speaking truth to power. So anybody else want to um, say anything? I was just going to say code switching this just constant, right? So I mean, no matter what that is, you know, we're undergoing some anti-racism work at, you know, the program for recovery and community health. And I was just saying, and that's everything from like how we talk to what we wear and and all of that. And I was saying how, you know, I'm from um, Trenton, New Jersey, um, by way of South Carolina. And so, you know, my South Carolina roots are definitely a part of who I am as well. And so, you know, I was saying how my aunt, my aunt Mabel would say, because I used to have locks. So she would say, you know, you can't, those, those white people are going to kick you out of that university. So constantly being like, 
policed in some ways by white folks, but also, you know, having my black folks just trying to tell me like, be careful and be careful of where you go, how you, how you step into those spaces. And in some ways, actually, that was really helpful because it gave me that sense of protection knowing that I had the, uh, a community. Because often what happens for many of us is that we step away from those communities that have provided protection for us. And, and that's what happened to me. So leaving, you know, Trenton, New Jersey, leaving the place where I felt really comfortable to be me. Um, I even had people that said to me, um, Rachel, that, that said, um, this one guy, he said, you know, are you are you talking like that because you're trying to be Black? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so it was just, it's just strange ways in which people feel like they can just say things to you as well as people of color in this work. So yeah, I think just think that um, many of us code switch as part of our survival and that we've had to do it for so long. And I just hope that, you know, that's what I really like about, you know, the work that you're doing, Curious, and uh, particularly around, I keep going back to that UBU, because that UBU is so important that we show up and be authentic to who we are. Because as we try to pull away from that, we're not going to be able to do the work. I've had colleagues of mine that have said to me about my team, you know, this one is too angry. This one is too much. And, you know, and I had to say, like, what are you looking for? Because on one hand, you're, you say you're, you like this person because you're passionate, because they're a great activist and, and advocate. And then on the other hand, you're saying that they're too loud, they're, they're, they're too angry, you know? And I just see that happen a lot, especially to um, um, Black women. Yeah, wow, wow. And so, Jay, for you and your um, role in, um, at uh, Marin and uh, Department of Behavioral Health, you went through your transition while you were working in Marin. Is that correct? If I, yeah. And so was there this tension as well as sort of uh, how you had to show up and how you had to show up in leadership and how people were perceiving all of that? I, yeah. So yeah. I actually didn't um, transition while here. I transitioned in another County. Well, one, oh, okay. of the, one of the great things there that, um, as I said, asked, right. When I was uh, re- about ready to go to my transition, I actually went to our leadership and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. And when I come back, how are you going to support me? And so, I mean, that could have gone either way. That person could have said, I don't know, which they didn't. And they said, wow, I appreciate really the trust that you have in me. We have a responsibility to be supportive to you because you're a valued employee and a human being. So I'm going to come up with that plan. I'm going to talk to whatever who I need to talk to. And when you come back, can we have a conversation if my plan or my idea works with you? And that was for me, like just blew me away. So, and I think about, well, is it just because of that leader? Actually, no, it's also because of maybe of how I was showing up and really holding and modeling some of the behaviors that was important for me. And maybe, maybe they, they, they learned from that, that they really were, were modeling it. So I think that's the, the piece. And that was hard. People were projecting things for me. People kept misgendering me. People were mad because I didn't personally tell them that I was at the transition. And I'm thinking like, well, isn't that, is that a permission? Or, I mean, all, I mean, people were just doing all of that. Right. And, and at some point I said, and that's, this is not my issue. And at the same time, hold accountable that I, I will give, and this might, might be more arbitrary, but I will give people about six months to, to figure this out right? To stop misgendering me. 
And then this is going to be an HR issue, right? So, and I was working very, very closely with, with leadership about it because I needed the accountability when people say, oh, I made a mistake. What, what, I mean, again, maybe the first month I get it, but after a few months, no. And, and I think that's really sort of the, the, the piece. Now, where I, was I hurt along the way? Yeah, people talking about me in front of me and saying, that's the transgender person or that's the used to be a woman, like all those things. Mm-hmm. And I have to really figure out authentically, like how do I show up even when those things are happening? And, you know, there are times I take that on because I could emotionally. Yes. And there are times I couldn't and I needed somebody to step in. Sometimes somebody stepped in, sometimes people turned their head and walked away. So I think part of being unapologetic is like finding your own power. And at the same time, knowing when it is, I'm going to meet you head on, or I'm going to take care of myself and walk back a little bit and deal with it in a different way. So I feel like whether it's, I think it was Sherelle who said it's survival. Every day, it's a survival for many of us. And so I'm not even... You know, sometimes my day is not like to thrive. It's just like, I just need to survive so I can just be my full self. Right, right. I love uh, also in uh, Rachelle's uh, podcast, how she talked about, um, she called it radical self-love. I was like, oh my gosh, that's I need radical self-love. But you have to give yourself that, um, when I even say permission, you just do it. You got to do it for yourself in order to survive. I want to ask Katera a, a question, and then um, I'm going to ask each panelist, um, you know, one last question. And so for Katera, I, I know there is lots of stuff going on in California relative to peer certification. I know there's lots of stuff going on clearly in the world uh, related to uh, Afghanistan. And um, sort of tell me about what you're into now um, as far as addressing kind of their, their divergent things, but they're kind of coming together for you. So I know uh, California is now uh, joining the 48 other states <laughs> around peer support certification. So it took us, I, I think it's been four bills uh, and two of the last previous ones were vetoed. So it, it, it's the realization that this is, we're in it for the long haul and knowing that because of the passion for the work and making sure that we all have access to peer support and that life-changing um, service uh, kept so many of us in our communities dedicated to this, making it happen. I mean, it didn't matter that, you know, the previous bills were vetoed. We were going to pursue um, building relationships, again, with our elected officials, talking about mental health, wellness, and recovery, and and um, talking about peer support and how it changed our lives. I mean, for me, uh, it, it was where I found my voice in my community, where in the time where I felt most isolated and detached from my cultural community, it was my peer community that said, you know, I understand what you're going through, and I'm not going to judge you for what you're what you've been through. And here's how we can engage in, you know, wellness and recovery and action plans, <laughs> um, all of that. And and so what it it's been a long journey, but it it, it was most it was done collaboratively, um, all of us coming together over the years. I mean, just in California and your leadership, you know, we, I use that model that, uh, that I shared before by Flo Kennedy, civil rights activists and black feminists, uh, don't agonize, organize. And that's what we did. We didn't give up. We kept 
um, you know, whether it was, you know, bringing people into the movement and talking about it, every, every opportunity we had was to build on that. And then, um, so I, I learned to address my internal stigma with mental health challenges also. And um, so now uh, with this humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, um, there's a, there's, there's a lot of work to be done in busting that mental health stigma and creating opportunities for peer support to rise up because uh, it happens naturally. I talked about when I was in high school, there was, uh, you know, an Afghan club because I grew up in Fremont and which had the largest population of Afghans outside of Afghanistan. And being able to know that peer support was working within our community, um, but now having the opportunity to connect those dots and make those connections and help people that are coming in and needing mental health uh, support and peer support to bust that stigma. And, it, you know, as an Afghan woman, we're right now, we all are hearing, you know, we're not seen or heard. We're, um, so this, it's, for me, it's really important to, um, to just put myself out there and speak up and, and be something different than what the stereotype is. And we're trying to uh, come together. We are coming together. And later today, I have a town hall for the Afghan community because we want to hear their voice. So I've been heard you know, and, and, and it felt important to be heard and to be part at the table. And now since I have that opportunity, I want to listen. I want to be able to engage and, and make sure what other um, community members want, we can support them in, in achieving that. And so it's yeah. been a journey, of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you for doing that work, especially, you know, yourself as an Afghani refugee and um, you know, uh, giving back and continuing to give back and uh, give forward to the community. I, I am hoping other people are hearing what we have the possibility of doing. That's that's the purpose of the panel. That's the purpose of the podcast is being able to hear the personal story, but hear that story within the realm of our work to figure out, well, how can I do that better? How can I improve in this way? Especially around my final question to the panelists is um, kind of what do we need to do to move the dial on equity? Um, And I'm going to go to Jay first. I think the response to that is always evolving. And so for me, um, you know, I I think there's a couple of things that I'm thinking about. And sorry, I, I might not be as articulate as I'm trying to figure it in my mind. This one is, I do believe, bring back love. In my opinion, love is really an antidote to injustice, right? Like we have forgotten what it is to love people. And when we talk about love, we know that love is work. We know it's, it's not simple love, right? That we have to work because we get hurt sometimes when we love and we trust. But we also have to be vulnerable and we need to keep working at it. So I feel like that's really for me one thing. Like what's the real love? Like the, the love that really transcends just looking at oneself, but really about love for people. I think we need to work collectively because this work cannot be done alone. We really need to see each other in all our glory and flaws and faults that each of us bring in a certain amount of um, expertise, experience, and our voices are important. So I feel like if we really see what's important for us and for our community and then come together collectively, that we are connected, even if there's this hierarchies you know, that are being directed to us or being forced us to learn and follow, we are, we are connected. And then for me, the last one, 
um, and because of the work in culture humility, is to give grace and ask for grace. Because we are human beings, after all, that make mistakes, even if the, in the best intentions, you know, that we're perfect and, and things fall apart. So sometimes say, well, I kind of screwed up there and I'm really sorry. And then for the folks that got the other side of it, say, that was really helpful. And yeah, I get it because I trust you because there's love there. Um, that's how we, 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 we build bridges and heal. So for me, thinking out loud, that would be the three things that to get us to more, towards equity. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, Sherelle. I was thinking about, um, well, he, he doesn't say it quite like this, but ludicrous when he said, move, get out the way, right? So <laughs> I actually think that, you know, in order for us to really move toward equity, that some people need to move and get out the way. They need to sit down. They need to pass the mic. Um, you know, for so long, you know, um, white men have been at the helm of recovery, you know, it's time that people of color, it's time that women have the opportunities. We do the work. We are the max in the backs. Um, so it's just important that in order for us to truly elevate, in order for us to um, really be able to lift as we climb, that some people will have to go sit down. Go sit down. You've done, you've done what you can do. And it's okay. Like, we're not trying to take your job. We're trying to join the revolution and be a part of it. So, um, but it really is going to take, you know, collaboration. It's going to take us coming together and realizing that um, we have to hire more people of color in leadership positions in order to really change um, how we're looking at these um, issues. Thank you. Um, anyone else? Rochelle, any um, last thoughts here? Yeah, I want to steal from Katira. Okay, my last point is don't agonize, organize, because I am an organizer. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's deep. And I think she she's giving me that advice in general. Like, don't get all, don't get too much in your feelings. Just do the work and organize. Find allies, whether it be, of course, people of color, but other people are allies and they really do care about us. Find people we can trust. Unapologetically show up, organize, and ready to advocate. Let's be organized uh, and and ready to advocate. Those are two really important things. And make way, uh, like Cheryl was saying, I love that ludicrous. I'm about to be, oh my God, that's preaching. But make way for um, someone else. You make a way for someone else through leadership and opportunity and mentorship. Um, Someone made a way for me. It wasn't just Black people. It was other people, um, white men, white women, um, Asian, everybody that that loved me, Middle Eastern, they loved me and showed me love. So I'm really thankful and be curious. I'm a sociologist at heart and I'm really always trying to solve complex systems and understand how people work. So being curious and open to learning about others will help us become more equitable. Those steps. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Katera, any last words um, before we uh, uh, end up here? Echoing what um, everyone else shared, uh, just agree check 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 yes all of those things and i mean i think it's again back to just our treating people well and our relationships and community engagement it makes a big difference in and you know how we how we identify the which issue we want to address uh you know taking like a a good look at like you know going to where the issues are and seeing what it's like because uh, and or hearing also engaging the community 
Um, and and I think for for these things, we always have to have goals set and and a plan to to achieve those goals and make it visible so that we can make sure everyone sees what we're doing because uh, it has an opportunity to engage because it's, I think, bigger than just any one of us is is really uh, a community issue. So we all can open up the doors to the, for the community to be engaged in part of this process. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to the marvel of Unapologetically Black Unicorns for coming together for this panel for Niapras. Thank you for inviting us and uh, making this space to uh, hear our stories and to join us in being Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Thank you. Thank you.